Hello and good morning, Centerway. My name is Eric and I'm thrilled to be welcoming you to church today. Hello to anyone joining us live on Sunday or anytime later on in the week. And hello to any watch parties that may be out there. A very special welcome to any guests with us for the very first time too. We are so happy that you decided to spend this time with us. And to make it as smooth as possible, I'm gonna take just a couple minutes to share some information that will help you during your first visit with us. For the summer, we're mostly online with some in-person gatherings here and there, so we hope to meet you face-to-face -face very soon. But for today, as you visit online, we trust that you still feel at home here. If you have questions beyond what I cover, you can learn more about us on our website. And for those that tune in every week, there's uh, some of this is for you as well. If you're gathering live on Sunday, we encourage you to check out the tabs on the online platform. You can share your information with us there. And if you do, we'll just simply follow up and get feedback from you. Also on the live platform, you can explore next steps and find previous messages. And if you call Centerway Home and would like an easy way to give, there's a tab to do that. During the gathering, if you have questions or like prayer, just request prayer and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. If you're watching or listening uh, anytime other than live Sunday gathering, then many of the things that I mentioned can happen through our website. If you'd like to connect with us after this gathering, if you have questions, feedback, ideas, or even need prayer, please email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. There are other ways to connect with us throughout the week as well. You can find our social media and you can also access the resources on our website. If you visit our website and choose the messages page, you'll find all our messages, including one just for kids. Uh, they're gonna sing some songs and hear a message that is from the same text that we adults will hear from, but with kid-friendly content. If you have kids in your home, it is incredible to be able to discuss the application and grow together. Also on the messages page are resources related to the messages, like images to put on your devices, links to the Spotify playlist for this series, and access to the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals. Now our team creates devotional content to go further with the text from Sundays, as well as videos on Monday. If you'd like to receive them directly to your inbox instead of going to the website, then you can subscribe on the Next Steps page. Now, before we wrap up here, I'd like to remind everyone that today, August 1st, is our After Church Hangout. As a guest, uh, if it's your first time hearing this, you are still welcome to join. Details are on our calendar page of the website. And after online church, we want you to eat lunch and then join us at Pumpkin Hook Park at 1 p.m. or whenever you can get there. We have a pavilion, but you can feel free to bring chairs or blankets. There's bathrooms there. Uh, also, uh, there are sports fields that we're gonna use, um, courts, various games, including a cornhole tournament, a playground for the kiddos. It's gonna be so much fun. We also have some snacks and some other fun for the kids too. So bring any sports equipment that you may wanna use or just come and chat. Again, the calendar page of the website will give you the details if this is new information to you. Well, we can't wait to hear this week's sixth message of our summer breakthrough series. And we continue to pray for you and believe that believe God for breakthrough in your life. Now, here's what to expect for the rest of the day. Joe will be reading the scripture text for us. Claude will be communicating from the Bible. And then I'll close out the gathering with some ways to respond in worship. Right after that, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Now, here's Joe with the text for today. Good morning, Centerway Church. My name is Joe, and I'll be sharing the scripture this morning. You can follow along with me in the ninth chapter of Isaiah, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Hello and welcome. My name is Claude. My wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church and uh, excited to continue in the series Summer Breakthrough. Uh, today's message in particular is entitled Hope. Hope. And uh, if I could start things off with a, a story from my childhood. Um, I don't remember my exact age, uh, but we went uh, when I was younger with my family to Disney World and uh, we were super excited. It was kind of our, our first experience there. Um, and we were going on different rides and I had an inner ear issue growing up that I wasn't super aware of. So I would get sick on certain rides, um, on roller coasters, stuff like that. Um, my equilibrium was off. And so there were some things that I really loved to do. And then there were some things that I loved to do, but it had kind of consequences. And so I remember this one time in particular, we were headed up, uh, to space mountain. It was a new ride at the time that how old I am. And uh, we were going up this long line. And as you're going, there's people screaming on these videos and all this stuff that's supposed to intensify. And you you hear uh, this voice over the loudspeaker, you know, welcome to Space Mountain. And the dark, the lights flicker and it gets dark and it gets bright. And there's this intensity. And um, so I'm kind of unsettled and nervous. Everybody's unsettled and nervous. And some people are filled with anticipation. I'm actually getting concerned because I'm assuming that this ride is actually going to hurt me quite a bit, that my ears are going to hurt as a result of this, that I'm going to feel sick, that I'm going to be sick for the whole day. And so I'm just kind of getting kind of anxious inside. And uh, I start to, to tell my parents, I don't think I want to go on this ride. And they're like, no, come on, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. We're this far into the line. Let's just, we're, we're going to be fine. And I'm like, I don't think I want to go. I don't think, no, come on, come on. And so the whole time my sisters are encouraging me, my parents are encouraging me. I'm hesitant. I'm concerned. And then I start to just kind of get panicky as we get closer. I'm just realizing the potential consequences of everything that's going to happen. And I'm just like, I just, I don't want to go on the ride. I don't want to go on the ride. They're like, come on, we've waited for hours. And uh, it did seem like a long time. I don't know how long we waited, but we literally get to the very point that we're going to board the ride and I just refuse to go. I refuse to go. I completely melt down. I start like hysterically crying. And, um, you know, I mean, like I said, I, I was young. I think I was like 28 something. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was, I was somewhere, you know, pre 10. I don't know. I was seven, eight years old, something like that. And I'm just melting down, but I'm old enough to be embarrassed that I'm melting down is the point. And so I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm frustrated. And I just, I just want to go. I, I can't go on the ride. I can't go on the ride. And so they look at the person and say, how can we, how can we get him off? And they're like, 
there's no way to leave. I'm like what? And like the only way down from this point of the ride is to ride the ride. And, uh, I'm like, I'm not going to do it. And I'm like hysterical. And he's like, I, I don't know what to tell you. So the, the only other option is to go down this back hallway, but it's like a back hallway for employees only. And, uh, you know, we can have somebody walk you down part of it. And so sure enough, that's exactly what happens. Uh, my dad and sisters get on the ride and my mom starts to walk me down this back hallway and, you know, she's embarrassed. She's frustrated. I'm frustrated. I'm embarrassed. And so it's just, it's like the walk of shame as I'm going down this back hallway and uh, I'm so devastated and just rethinking things. Why couldn't I just get on the ride? What's wrong with me? And and I'm going down and all of a sudden it opens up and we're kind of outside on this kind of catwalk type thing because it's an employee entrance. And so we go down this back way where clearly nobody else is supposed to go. And as we come around the corner, um, there's Mickey Mouse with his head flipped off, smoking a cigarette. This dude <laughs> is smoking a cigarette and he's like, you're not supposed to be back here. And this guy's like, what's your problem? He goes, nobody's supposed to be back here. So he's trying to flip his head forward and everybody's devastated and they're looking at me and yelling at me. You're not supposed to be back here. Well, the kid wasn't, you know, he was too scared to go down Space Mountain. I'm like, ah, and now I'm like traumatized because Mickey inside of Mickey is some creepy dude with a scraggly beard that smokes stogies. So everything was coming unglued for me. All of the magic was leaving uh, the the, uh, the Disney World for sure. And uh, we meet up with my dad and sisters and I'm just devastated. And they're talking about how fun the ride was and how I should have just gone. And mom didn't go on it because of you. And I'm like, ooh. And uh, I was so frustrated at myself. I've, it was such an amazing vacation. But the thing that really sticks out to me is that entire experience. It just seemed like that outdid all of the good of the trip. And anytime from that moment on that I began to forget in any way that that took place, my sisters would remind me, hey, remember that time we were on Space Mountain? I'm like, yes, I remember. And I'm not kidding you. It haunts me like to this day at a random, you know, gathering. If one of our kids is like, I don't want to. They're like, hey, remember that time you went on Space Mountain? I'm like, yes. It's so frustrating. The question that I want to ask you as we move into the text today is this. Why do we let the past define us? Why do we let the past define us? It seems like when something happens in the past, it just sticks with us. It influences the way we perceive situations, the way we have memories attached to to moments or to vacations that would otherwise be enjoyable. It's like that thing defined us. That thing defined that experience. I think the the answer to the question isn't really that profound. In fact, it's kind of common sense. As humans, we let the past define us because it's already happened. It's it's known. It's proven. There's no denying it. We can act like it didn't happen, but the fact is it did. And people remember it. And people remind us if we don't remind ourselves. If you're anything like me, then your greatest moments tend to happen when no one is looking. I play my best golf when no one else is around, it seems. But your most embarrassing moments seem to happen in crowded rooms with lots of witnesses, right? Your most triumphal moments, your most incredible moments, like looking around, you're like, did anybody see that? They're like, no, we were all looking the other way. <laughs> like, How is that possible? But when you trip and fall and knock everything over, when you're screaming at the top of Space Mountain, it seems like the entire world is there with a front row seat. You know, the thing I want to really consider and I want to wrestle with is as much as we can remember those moments, 
and as much as they're obvious to us, do those moments really have to define us? Do they really have to define us? I would argue the answer is no. Now, we, <laughs> we do have to kind of own those moments for sure. Learn from them? Do we have to learn from our past, our previous experiences, our poor decisions, the things that are embarrassing? Of course. Of course we have to learn from them. But they don't have to define us. They don't have to become what we're known for. So why do we let them sometimes define us? Why is it that we allow that to take place? I want to submit to you that it's really one of two core reasons, and I've kind of alluded to both of them already. The first one is we have people in our lives that for whatever reason, make sure we don't forget our past, that we just don't forget our past. Anytime we start to, it seems like they are all too quick to remind us. Secondly, the other option is we won't let ourselves forget what we've done. You know, whether it's embarrassment, shame, frustration, just a wish for a redo. It's like we just won't let ourselves off the hook, whether it's a form of penance or some type of self-punishment. I'm not really sure, but it seems like we're in one of two camps. Either we have people around us that won't allow us to forget or we just won't allow ourselves to forget. So basically, as humans, We're either trying to be better people than we were yesterday, pull up our bootstraps and try harder, do better, no matter what anybody says about us, or kind of throwing in the towel and just saying, you know what, who I was yesterday is just who I am. You can basically love me or leave me. This is it. Seems like there's one extreme or the other, but the reality is both of those are lose situations. It's a lose-lose situation. Get this, we're either striving to perform or we're settling for a lesser version of ourselves. In those instances, we're trying to overcome people's perceptions of us. We're trying to, to deny that, that our past exists, or we're, we're striving and saying, you know what? We're, uh, sorry, we're, we're saying, I'm just gonna throw in the towel and I'm gonna settle. We're either striving for their sake or we're throwing in the towel and saying, you know what? I'm done, I am who I am, I am who I think I am, or I am who they say I am. Listen, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be a strive or a settle. God wants to break through this summer. He wants to break through to you. He wants to tell you that there's a better way. You see, today's text is about where we place our hope, where we place our hope. Verse two says this. Verse two says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So if you've been with us, you, you see kind of this, this dark ending to the previous pericope, kind of this, uh, this unsettling reality. And all of a sudden we start with this verse that starts to talk a little bit about hope. As you know, if you've been with us, the people of Judah have been placing their hope in earthly kings. Whether it's the Ahaz, the king of Judah, or the, the king of Assyria, if they're placing their hope in earthly kings and they've placed their faith and hope in temporal things based on their fears, based on their efforts to save themselves, and ultimately it has led to a deep darkness. But the divine king is bringing light. That's what this verse is talking about. 
to get your eyes off of the current reality and the situations and the circumstances and to consider the divine king that is bringing light to the world. Verse 4 says this, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you, meaning God, have broken as on the day of Midian. In other words, God is setting people free. God is setting people free from the burden of their captors, from the staff of the shoulder, from the rod of their oppressors. God is breaking through, is what verse 4 is talking about, and setting these people free from all human oppression. Why? Why is he doing that? Has he forgotten their past? Has he forgotten the decisions that they've made to strive after earthly things, to strive after earthly kings and to place their hope in them, their faith in them? Have they forgotten their past? Why is it that this is taking, taking place? Listen, it's important to realize that verses three through four are actually a metaphor of victory. And that in verse five, the liberated people experience the freedom of the Lord's victory. Okay, so verse 5, it says this, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What does that mean? What are we talking about? For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle. There's something profound that's taking place here that maybe at face value you can't really pick up on. The, the word boot here in Hebrew is accompanied with a participle. It's accompanied with a participle tramping in battle, okay, in the, in the Hebrew language, in the original language, which are actually words that are only found here in the entire Old Testament. And they're described as not Hebrew words, but rather Egyptian, Assyrian, or Aramaic loan words, loan words. In other words, they're foreign words that are being used only in this text, which means they have meaning. <laughs> What's the meaning? What exactly is taking place here? The words are chosen here to express the breaking of an oppressive power, which has gripped the Lord's people from the outside. So a foreign entity has come in and gripped the Lord's people and God is redeeming their past. That's what it means. And I'll, I'll prove it to you by this. Get this. The battle here is over, but the Lord's people haven't fought. Nothing, nothing in the verses talk about the people fighting. They're actually walking into a battlefield where the battle has already taken place. This text is saying that they're entering the battlefield after the fighting is done and they have a freedom that they didn't have to earn. The Lord has gone before them and set them free from the decisions of their past, from the oppressors of their past. How is that possible? Why? Why would God do that? Why would God do that when, when they have done nothing but wrong things in their past? They've done nothing but push away from the table of faith and say, you know what, I'm going to place my hope and my faith in Assyria, in other things that I can see, touch, and feel. God, I'm not sure we can trust you for this. Verse 6 says this. This is why right here. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How 
can God break through and set you and me free from our past? Because Jesus Christ came as a son, a son of God who was given for us, not because we've earned it, not because we've done everything right, not because in some way we've, we've overcome the, the trials and tribulations of our past, but because God in his grace and mercy chose to come to us in the midst of our sin. You know, Micah 7 says that our sin is thrown into the depths of the sea. I love actually the, the King James Version that actually says the sea of forgetfulness. It's a perfect picture. It literally means the depths of the sea that are so far down they can never be found. But that's what it looks like when God forgives us of our sins. Why? Because Jesus Christ came and died the death that you and I deserve so that we could be restored in right relationship with God the Father, that we can be viewed as sons and daughters of God himself, forgiven, set free from our past. But will we forgive ourselves? Will we forgive ourselves from our past? Will we allow the voices of others that are all too quick to remind us of our past? Will we be held captive or will we allow God to break through and set us free from the things that tether us down, from the lies that have been spoken to us that will always be the same, that we can't change? You see, if you believe that God can't change and transform a heart, if you believe that that can't take place, then you're not believing in the gospel. The gospel says that, it, that anyone can be transformed, can be set free. You know, Psalms talks about that our sin, when we ask for forgiveness, is as far as the east is from the west. That it's that far, that, that God just removes his remembrance of our trespasses and actively redeems us. Not so that we in some way take advantage. It's not, it's not a, oh, so I can do whatever I want. It's a, a sin for free card. No, it means that as we come face to face with the brokenness and the depravity of our hearts and lives, that when we come to the realization that God died the death that we deserve and that he's forgiven us, that we'll allow God to transform that, that our hearts would be contrite. And we'd say, God, would you forgive me for the sins of my life and set me free? Would, would you help me to no longer settle for the lesser version of my one and only life? There was an experience that I had when I was traveling with a, um, a ministry team out of college. I traveled with a ministry team around the Northeast. And there was a, a small country church that we were at. And I don't really remember what state we were in. Um, but it's somewhere uh, in Virginia, West Virginia, somewhere in that region. And uh, there was a a farm. And uh, at this farm, there were several bulls that were at this farm. I don't know if it was a dairy farm or a meat farm. I have no idea. But I just remember being taken by the enormity of these bulls. And um, there was this small bull that was uh, tied with a uh, really thick rope. And it was tied to a an old uh, I think it was a large oak tree and it was just pulling and pulling and pulling. And it just, it seemed so determined to try to get away and it simply couldn't. And I was like, what's going on there? And, uh, he says, well, you've got to, you've got to teach bulls in particular, pretty young age that, um, that they can't get away. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, well, when this steer gets old enough, when it gets big enough, you know, it could really destroy uh, just about anything in its path. So we have to teach them really young that basically we're in control. 
And uh, I was like, I guess I don't understand what you're doing. He goes, well, look. And so he walks me around the edge, well, walks our group around the edge of this building. And sure enough, there is this ginormous bowl that could probably knock over a vehicle. I have no idea. It was huge. And it had this tiny little rope tied around its neck. And the tiny little rope was held to a post that was hit into the ground that honestly, I probably could have walked over and kicked and knocked out of the ground. And he said, that bull won't move because it's convinced that it can't pull that out of the ground. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, because it spent most of its childhood trying to pull an oak tree out of the ground. He said, so you just, bulls can be somewhat stubborn. They're super strong, but they have great memories. If you just convince them that they're not going to be able to do it, then they'll remember that they'll never be able to do it, no matter how big they are. Man, what an amazing and tragic word picture for us today. If the enemy of hell can convince us that we're, defi- that we're defined by our past, that we're held captive to the things that we have done in our past, then how much more can he cripple us in the future? God has a plan and a purpose for us, but if he can teach us early enough and young enough, I mean, we can be pretty stubborn and we can be absolutely powerful as children of God, but if he can teach us young enough and early enough that our failures are actually what defines us, that our shortcomings are really what it is that we can never overcome, then even the smallest of trip-ups can cause us to just be locked up and frozen, not aware of our power, our authority as children of the living God, and instead we stand stagnant, placing our hope in lesser things, fearful, without faith. It's tragic and yet profound. You see, when we hold our past as a hurdle that defines us, we're actually cheapening the grace that God has given us. We're saying, God, I don't know that you're big enough to forgive my shortcomings. But the reality is, God has set you free. He's set you free from your past. You can be more than a conqueror. We have a purpose and a plan. Because he has already fought our battle, because he's already fought our battle, we are more than conquerors. If only we would put our hope in him. We're not who others say we are. We're not even what we think of ourselves. No, we are who God says we are. And he says we're loved. He says we're forgiven. He says that we are his children, that we're valuable. We have to allow that to settle into our hearts. That has to settle into our hearts as much as the bull has to realize that it's a tiny little rope and as much as my sisters have to realize, my gosh, I was like six or seven years old. Leave me alone. I didn't want to go on the ride. (laughs) I've already come to grips with the fact that, you know, Mickey's not real. It's a person. Sorry, spoiler alert. Some of those people smoke. It's okay. You see, you have to frame the past. You have to frame the past for what it is. And if it's really about you striving or settling, then you'll just be in a cycle where you can never be able to overcome. But if you allow to settle in your heart and mind that God has already won that battle, that he's already had the victory, that he's redeeming your shortcomings and he's setting you free, that your sin is as far as the east is from the west, that it's in the depths of the sea and that the only one holding you back is your own preconceived ideas or the lies that you're willing to believe, then we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, even in our darkest and deepest hurts and pains. We can move forward in faith and hope because our hope is not in this world. You see, I'll prove it to you because it goes on in verse 7 says this, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Of God's government 
and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and furthermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Our hope is not in this world. It can't be. If it is, it will always fall short. Our hope can't be on this imperfect, flawed world because even on its best day, listen, even on its best day, even when everything seems to be going right, when the people that you want in the government are in the government, when when all the people that are making decisions seem to be aligning with the decisions that are in your heart and your mind, even on those days, we're still flawed, sinful humans, sin-filled humans. There will always be a shortcoming. We will always fall short. It will always lead to what? Darkness. There's only one that brings the light. It's Jesus himself. Our hope must be in the Lord. He alone is worthy of our worship and worthy of our life. That's where freedom is. That's where hope is. That's where life to the fullest truly is. And so I want you to ask yourself a question as we wrap things up today. This is the question I want you to ask yourself. How will I express worship to the Lord? You see, we can't assign worship to the temporal things of this world. It's only God himself that will set us free. And so how is it that I can express worship to the Lord? For some of you today, maybe the way you need to express worship is by surrendering your life to him. Maybe you've never crossed that line of salvation. You're you're thinking about this idea that I'm talking about that you can experience freedom from your past and you think that would be great, but I don't know how to get there. It's as simple as praying a prayer, acknowledging that he died the death that you deserve. In fact, wherever you find yourself right now, you can pray this prayer. It doesn't have to be these exact words, but something along the lines of acknowledging that you're a sinner, that Jesus died the death for you. And you just say, Lord, forgive me for the sins of my life. Forgive me for my past. Redeem what it is that you can, which of course is all things. Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. And then just in Jesus' name we pray, amen. In fact, if you prayed that prayer or some version of it and you're with us live, I want to talk to you or one of our hosts want to talk to you about the next step attached to the decision you've made. So you can just click um, prayer, request prayer, and you'll go into a private chat with one of our hosts. If you're listening or watching this uh, later on in the week or at a different time, you can reach out to us through our website or via email. We'd love to talk to you about the next step. So it's not just an emotional decision, but we can come alongside you. If you're watching and um, or listening and you've already made that decision, you've crossed that line of faith, what does it look like for you to express worship to the Lord? I think all too often when we hear the word worship, we just think, well, I'll sing. And that's okay. And that's definitely a form of worship. But what other ways can you express worship to the Lord? Maybe it means replacing lies with truth as a form of worship, acknowledging that you're loved enough to to speak the truth of God's word over the lies that you've believed in your life. Whether it's other people speaking lies into your life or it's you speaking lies to yourself. Who is it that God says I am? And then just respond in worship. Does it, does it look like giving of your time, your talent, your treasure? What does it look like to express worship to the, to the Lord this week? I want to challenge you to consider that. Maybe it looks like simply thanking him and living content with your life. No longer striving, but realizing there's opportunities around you to further the mission and the work that he's called you to. Let's pray as we seek the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. 
and we, we worship you. We worship you because of the battles that you have already fought and the battles you have already won for us. Lord, I pray that we would have the, the strength and insight to walk in that freedom. And Lord, that we would be aware of our past, not for the, the purpose of, um, of holding ourselves captive to it, but so that we can see your redemptive work, that we would acknowledge the fact that we're living testimonies of your grace and your mercy so that we could extend that grace and mercy to everyone we come in contact with. Father, we worship you. We worship, praise, and adore you for who you are, for that which you have done. We ask you to come and move in profound ways in and through our lives this week for your glory and our joy. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Excited to be with you again next week as we continue in our series, Summer Breakthrough. Thanks so much for joining us online this morning. As you consider the application of how will I express worship to the Lord, remember what we often say, and that that there are many ways to worship. We're excited for you to be even more intentional about that this week. And maybe it's a good week to add the wallpaper image to your lock screen if you don't already just to remind yourself to stay in an attitude of worship and to keep your hope in Jesus. Remember, you're not trying to please God or earn anything, but simply give him the worship that he's due. And one way we can begin to worship right now is through singing. And if you're gathered live, we can do that together. If you're not with us live, you can find the songs we're about to sing on Spotify. Search Centerway Church and look for our Summer Breakthrough playlist. You can also look for the video that will be posted on our Facebook page. For those gathered live on the online platform, we'll see you on Facebook or Instagram in a few minutes. And we hope to see you this afternoon to hang out together at Pumpkin Hook Park. See you soon.